0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And
1: this is Jesse. Today on Tap, we have Fright Night, starring Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale, Amanda Burse, Stephen Jeffries, and Roddy McDowell. Written and directed by Tom Holland. Not Spider-Man's Tom Holland, a different Tom Holland this week. (laughs) If you can snap time and move back and forth, who knows what aging looks like. (laughs) Exactly. It could have been him in another lifetime. Or
0: if you're a vampire, you don't age that way either. So there's a lot of options for Mr. Holland. Oh,
1: great. Uh, Welcome to Rise Smile Films. We're closing out another film review cask Uh, this week. Our This has been a lot of fun to revisit some of these. Uh, vampire films and a plethora of casts we can just keep coming back to because we've left so many off the table that warrant discussion mm. in this great genre. So. We're wrapping up with Fright Night from 1985, the original. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I know we're going to have a ton to talk about as we do. A bunch of fun personal stories. Yeah. And then uh, just the behind-the-scenes, just history of this thing getting made is interesting in and of itself. So uh, we have two bottles today. We have Old Forester, original batch, and then the Wolcott, uh, bottled in bonds. So we're going to do some bottle kill today. Mm. What are we starting with first, man? I'll let you pick. Uh, old Forester, you know. Go ahead. Pour, yep. it, pour us out there. Yep.
0: So as I pour this, I'm going to sidetrack us for just a minute. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> we do have uh, another nail to put in the proverbial coffin of Warner Brothers. Sure. So we, yeah, let's, let's do it. Jesse and I both jumped into a film this week, not really talking to each other about it, just happened to it. Or maybe it wasn't this week for you, but I did it this week, and maybe you did it some other weeks yeah. ago. Malignant. Yeah. All right. Mr. James Wan makes a uh,
1: surprise appearance on this week's episode. Start. Let's just say perplexing. Yeah. Uh, it has, you know... You know, what I'm hearing is people either liking it or just super hating it. There's, like, no in-between, but to me, the twist, and we're not going to spoil it here, but wasn't good enough to, like, justify just how—and why was it two hours?
0: Yeah, that was a 95-minute film.
1: My prognosis of the whole thing was he picked to do that instead of Conjuring 3, which also wasn't great, so maybe I'm just putting the nail in the James Wan coffin— and I just think Saw's his best movie, and that was '04, 4 man. So
0: That's been a very strange come-to-Jesus moment that we've had here recently, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, we're
1: born-again. <laughs> born born-again <laughs> like, anti-James like, Wan. Like Jerry Dandridge, yeah. Oh,
0: wow. Uh, put that holy water away. We both really liked him initially. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and, you know, on Revisitation of the Conjuring, there's a lot to be desired there. Yeah. And I would go right out and say that Malignant was just flat-out awful. Yeah. Uh, I told you that I watched about 40 minutes and then was just so sleepily bored that I put it on 1.5 X, get
1: get this over with, no
0: sound and didn't miss anything. I'll give everybody one little piece of advice. If you have some time and you're looking for a horror, horror movie, instead of watching Malignant, go watch Rabbit. Yeah. It's a semi better version of the same thing. Sure. Kind of.
1: Or watch Fright Night instead.
0: There's an even better idea. <laughs> but Warner Brothers is really on the ropes, uh, and I know you have hope for on one the, last film.
1: One that's my Hail Mary.
0: Jesse's uh, Hail Mary is Dune. Yep. Uh November.
1: No, October twenty fourth. And
0: so we're not that
1: far away. That's it. it this is like this is literally like Aaron Rodgers against the Lions. They're down (laughs) by four, and he's just putting it up and hoping someone's going to catch it down there.
0: It poses the question that we've addressed several times here. I'm going to bring it up one more time. Mm -hmm. Did they know their slate of films was going to be this mediocre? They just just said fuck it, and yeah, yeah, they just said mail it into HBO Max. Or is it just I don't know a serendipitous moment where they were able to monetize what would normally be critically. Awful cinematic works, well, and do that through an online platform. I wonder that too. subscription.
1: I wonder that too, and if we're kind of getting kind of a little sour because we are watching from home. But you went and saw Suicide Squad in the theater, right? I did. Yeah, and so you're not getting the same benefit in the <laughs> right. theater. So right. I don't know what we're what we're up against here, but yikes! Like it's 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 troubling, and it's just. Just very indif- indicative of the quality of just films coming out uh, in general. One final
0: point on that Warner Brothers thing right now. I will say that as far as business goes, yeah, they took a leap to at least endeavor in a new entrepreneurial way, which would be let's go streaming mm-hmm. with our slate of films. So there is at least some creativity, if you want to call it that, sure, from yeah. the business end. But where they're really suffering from mm-hmm. is on the artistic end they are just not producing yeah. good stories yeah. it's not it's not production although i will say malignant for me had made for tv movie kind of production value in it mm-hmm. um it's not that it's although that film was like i said a little poorly made it's not that they didn't put any money behind suicide squad or godzilla kong yeah. or like those are big budgets
1: yeah they're almost like 300 million dollar movies yeah there's
0: just Nothing to work with. Flat. The story's bad. Yeah, flat, mm. silly, mm-hmm. um, light, yeah. shallow.
1: Yeah. Man. Yeah. All those definitions rolled into one.
0: Mm. Which is a bad slate of films for them. To them. <laughs> to them. them Maybe finding their fleet.
1: Into to this movie that we're going to talk about today. Amen.
2: Mm.
0: And Old Forrester. Yes. 90 proof.
1: Not that 115 that we had. Oh, the prohibition style? <laughs> yeah, that one's a little too rough for me. Yeah. All righty. So let's dive right in with our flight question. I'll
0: turn down the fireplace and get off the bearskin rug before we do the flight question, Let me please. Take sir. my
1: white dress off too. I love uh Jerry Dandridge's uh seduction music. So do I. Just, it's just it's just it's his perfect. It's his mood music. It's perfect for him. <laughs> yeah. I uh teased this out a little bit last week. Uh we did uh favorite characters that weren't vamps in vampire films. So flip side of that, our top three favorite vampires in the vampire subgenre. So you're number three. You're not going to be surprised by any of my three. Okay, yeah. But
0: number one is from the clothing that you have on today. Oh, nice. Mr. Barlow from Salem's Lot.
1: Mm. Reggie uh, Nelder. Who? Yeah, it's he's an Italian actor and has the look of Barlow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A bit uh, Max Shrekish mm-hmm. with that blue-gray mm. hue and yellow eyes. and yeah, He looks sickly. Very sickly. Yeah. Uh, he'd been through a few battles, shall we say? I think that's a very weathered vampire. Uh, for me, a lot of these have to do with nostalgia and the lasting impression of them. I've talked about it ad nauseum on this. I'm not going to get into it again. Mm-hmm. That's an important film in my film viewing. maturation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was terrifying and although probably not terrifying today, mm-hmm is still a remarkable looking piece of cinematic special effects for monsters. Absolutely. Barlow at three.
1: What, um now do you prefer that? Because in the book, uh, Barlow's kind of written as just kind of a regular, kind of like, almost like Jerry Dandridge yeah. a little bit. Um And they really went Nosferatu with him. Do you kind of mm-hmm. like that? I think on, on screen, that that looks visually appealing.
0: I think it looks really good on screen.
1: Because who the hell played, I think it was Rutger Hauer played him in the Rob Lowe one. Yeah. And it wasn't kind of as as memorable. Mm-mm. Okay. Great choice. The we've talked about
0: it a lot, right? The reveal is important. Yeah. Watching to see what the monster looks like when Dr. Frankenstein's finished, seeing what the werewolf looks like the first time they wolf out. Yep. Seeing the vampire for the first time in full, unadulterated form is a big moment, in that delivered. Great choice. Here's number three. My number
1: three, I'm going a little comedy with mine. I am going uh, Jermaine Clement as Vladislav the Poker from What We Do in the Shadows. So good. You could pick any one of those flatmates from that thing, but he's he he's so good because he he's so serious uh the way in his presentation, and I love the ongoing running joke with him, and he talks about the beast, the darkest parts of my solar reserve for the beast, and you think it's like, "What's this thing that he went up against, and you find out later it was like an X <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah get your hands off my balls, beast. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. And then he co-wrote and directed with Taiko Atiti. So the creative element, they both had a lot of hands in shaping why that's so good. Mm-hmm. So uh had to be a little tongue in cheek. Oh, and then when he turns he can never get the faces right, and he turns his face, his human face on a cat it is too funny. It's too so. funny. That's another one that would be fun to talk about in another vampire uh go-around. So that would be a good choice. Absolutely. I love it. I hadn't even considered that good one. Mm-hmm. Number
0: twos. Number two, like I said, nostalgia. It's why it's one of the most iconic Halloween costumes, even still today. Mm-hmm. Why everybody dresses as Gothic Count Dracula. Yeah. It's our guy, Bella Lugosi. Bella, The first time that we saw it done in a big way like that mm-hmm. with some money and a person who is all in. And might I reiterate, oh, okay. all in. <laughs> yeah.
1: On that part. I think that's what makes it work too. Sure. When he shows up and he's like, I bid you welcome.
0: From the silly hair to the uh, mirror reflection in his eyes that caused the hypnotic gaze to the Mm come here, which all you have to do is flip a hand over and all of a sudden you are within Mm -hmm. the vampire's hypnotic trance. Yeah. All that stuff played really well at the time. But the lasting impression of that is every Halloween party that you see. Every little kid, every iconic Dracula costume is that gothic look.
1: Well, just like Frankenstein is the Boris uh, iteration. And like when you read the book, he's not looked up like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's funny that the universal incantations of all those monsters are what endures in popular culture. Yeah. That's remarkable. So
0: are some staying power at those universal monsters, is there? Absolutely. Huh.
1: My number two, you already uh, prefaced it a little bit. I'm actually going to go with Max Shrek as Count Orlock and Nosferatu. Uh, to the point where if you watch Shadow with the Vampire with Malkovich and Willem Dafoe, they try and convince you that Orlock or Shrek was a real vampire. Right. <laughs> but he just, the, that, that bald look with the eyes and, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the part where he's in the doorway and he just kind of like emerges into the, into the ethers is pretty great for a silent film. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, you know, German film audiences. when that came out would it have must've have just been shit in their pants. Like yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. And my favorite scene in that is actually when he gets in the coffin and then through some like crazy stop motion animation, his lid like floats up and closes <laughs> on top of him. And then he's off on his way. Another adaptation of Dracula, mm-hmm. uh, by way of FW, uh, Murnau, uh, great look. It's he's iconic as well. Um, but, um, you know you can do just so so much less with silence you know what i mean yeah. um and that the shadows it just all plays really well and a lot of it's his look and his performance so
0: one of the things that stuck out to me this morning watching fright night was mm. the importance of the vampire's hands mm. it'd be worth a, a revisitation on nosferatu just cuz it's been a while for me too mm-hmm. i always remembered being truly bothered by his hands but in this way were they Costume, or were those really his fingers? I know <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? It is. I, I can see the nail adaptations or fake nails that they might have put on him, mm-hmm. but man, it's really bony and angular. It yeah. almost looks like it's natural. Yeah. Hmm. Good. What's your number one? I'm curious. A bit off the beaten path. Okay. Uh, a film that I'm wildly fond of, and I'm not going to get into this too much because I don't want to give too much away. Mm-hmm. But. When you take the vampire at its core, it's a fairly simple creature. It is a deviation on sexuality, its penetration, and the exchange of fluid. And that's sometimes difficult to get conflict or continuity in so far as a staying power that leaves an impression other than just a ravenous thing that doesn't like the sunlight. What Ellie is Mm -hmm. in Let the Right One In is none of that. Yeah. That is a truly complex yeah. character. And there are times when that is the most wicked character on screen that you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And there are also times in that movie where that's the most compassionate character you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It also hinges on a brief. And I'm, I'm talking about the original, the oh, Swedish yeah. flick, For, not the real Yeah, forget that other one. Forget that one. Yeah. There is a second and a half clip Yeah, that if you can decode what you're seeing... It spins the entire narrative of that film around again. I'm not going to get into it because we're going to do that movie someday. Mm-hmm. And that is a 20 minute conversation. <laughs> yeah. But it's Ellie.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, a 11 year old childlike vampire and, that's hundreds of years old.
1: Yeah. And that's what it gets into is, you know, getting vamped at such young of an age yeah. that you're reverted to this childlike state, even though you're 120.
0: Stalled out progression in mm-hmm. this childlike form with all the wisdom of centuries behind you
1: that's terrifying jesse that movie's great the, the book's great uh it's great choice that's a that's a good number one thank you yeah i'm dying to hear yours well my number one i kind of went with the most uh like my favorite you know i mentioned christopher lee and you know that's my probably my favorite dracula but mm-hmm. and, you know probably for you know the best you know all-around version that i think we've ever seen i gotta go old men and Coppola's version of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh he he's so theatrical in mm-hmm. it and uh from the 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 white powdered wig to his uh reinvigorated state with his goatee and his top hat and he, he goes wolf form in that one too. Mm-hmm. And then the monstrous form, uh and he's great. I mean when we said that Gary Oldman was not good in a movie, yeah, but no. this was kind of like I think his first like huge kind of like film that he was like Top build, top build over Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. who had just won an Oscar. Right, uh, he's my number one. It's 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 a pretty great uh, performance, and I like how they, you know, it's Bram Bram Stoker's Dracula by way of Coppola, and those honestly is probably the last best movie he made too. So yeah, uh, my number one, but love so it. many different choices. I could have picked Christopher Lee in any of the number eight films that he's he's played that character. How many times he did it with Hammer? I think about eight. Yeah. Wow.
0: Um, I love that choice. Mm-hmm. That is Gary Oldman's most bombastic, gregarious performance with mm-hmm. makeup. Mm-hmm. Here's the brilliance of Oldman. And that includes Churchill in that film that mm. he just most recently did too. Yeah. Whereas Depp gets into the makeup and plays makeup. Yeah. Oldman gets into the makeup and plays the character. Yeah. It's why huge I, difference, my, right? nick,
1: my nickname for uh, Gary Oldman's El Chameleon. <laughs> yeah. Just like becomes these people. Yep, Drexel Spivvy. <laughs> yeah, right. James Gordon, Sirius Black. Yeah. I mean, Sid Vicious. I mean, he just. He, oh, that's right. He's so good at just like turning into these things. That's so good. Uh, great list. I mean, we could have we could have been talked all day just about all the film vampires and where they where they fit in along the lines. Honorable mention because you know I do like yeah. this uh, Barnabas Collins, Jonathan Fred. Uh, he was just you know. He, he's what made Dark Shadows so popular, and he's got a look and a vibe to him that's pretty cool, too.
0: So I have one honorable mention, too. Okay. Lauren Hutton as the Countess yeah. in Once Bitten. Uh, I love Once Bitten. Yes. I do, too. Good choice. Silly film, uh-huh. but she brought something for me at that time that was different for vampires, and I hadn't really thought about female vampirists yes. as seductress.
1: But well, boy, I bet we're going to talk about that today, aren't we? I think we are. <laughs> Away we go. All righty, let's dive right into our review breakdown of Fright Night.
3: Charlie? This is our next-door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge.
2: Hello, Charlie.
3: Well, Charlie, don't be rude, shake hands.
2: What's he doing here?
3: I invited him over for a drink. What? I invited him over. Why? What's
1: the matter, Charlie? Afraid I'd never come over without being invited first? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're quite right. Of course, uh, now that I've been made welcome, I'll probably drop by quite a bit. In fact, any time I feel like it. With your mother's kind permission, of course.
3: Oh, Jerry, any time. So nice that someone interesting has finally moved into the neighborhood. Charlie, are you all right? Yeah, Mom, I'm fine. I just got to get back to my trig,
2: that's all. Nice to meet you, Charlie.
1: <laughs> Great introduction to him. But let's start at the beginning, uh the first 10, 12 minutes of the cold open of of the movie. First, I really like this tracking shot that they do in the neighborhood, which is like part matte painting with that blood red, like the moon, the, the city below. And then we go from the street all the way up into Charlie's room. We kind of just talked about it just briefly while we were watching, but what a great opening to just literally set up the entire movie. Charlie Brewster boy next door. Um, In a relationship with Amanda Burst, who I only associate her as Marcy Darcy from, I almost said, All My Children. She was on All My Children, actually. Mm. uh, Married with children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's that high school relationship where they want to go all the way, but, you know, she's very hesitant. They play her so virginal uh, Mm -hmm. at the beginning, her outfits. And what happens to her later is remarkable because it, like, becomes very, like, she becomes very sure of herself. And it's that Mm. dance sequence. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. But while they're making out, you know, Joe Bob Briggs, Elvira, uh, who else? Uh, (laughs) Any one of those people. Uh, It's the Peter Vincent show Fright Night. Mm -hmm. And uh, here this actor is showing his, essentially just showing his own movies on this cable network. Well, and that detail of him trying to stick the vampire, he's got the stake backwards. So he's a joke, a a complete joke. And then we meet who comes in next door. We see him carrying like a a coffin Within 12 minutes, we set up the entire movie. What do do you kind of think of this this setup here?
0: Great opening, Mm -hmm. and you've laid out the landscape perfectly. So we have some teenage on the precipice of trying to become an adult relationship, I guess you could say, whatever that means. Mom,
1: we're in high school.
0: Exactly. (laughs) But there's a couple of things that are in the way that seem to be preventing the two of them from finalizing this full-fledged relationship, and mostly... It's slightly akin to Rear Window.
1: Mm, Exactly.
0: There's a few moments in this that I actually wanted to talk to you about because it really struck me. And the first one is Charlie is interested enough in Amy Mm -hmm. insofar as what is underneath her blouse. But at the beginning of the film, I think that might be where it stops. Mm -hmm. And I kind of don't blame him because she, you know, smashes a sloppy Joe on his face and... (laughs)
1: A very poorly put together burger if it just eviscerates like that. (laughs) Charlie's
0: kind of immature. Yeah. Uh, We talked about how silly it was in his room that here's this guy that's trying to get laid and he has wall-to-wall novelty stuff and then in the middle of that is the Coors beer Mm -hmm. neon sign. I said, I guess, the light switch to that or the power switch to that is right next to the anarchist cookbook. Like, none of that works because he's a total dork. Mm -hmm. And that, in the beginning... Is a little bit of a hindrance, but that's going to be in the end what sort of saves the day. Yeah. And his quest for knowledge. Regardless about all that, in the first 12 minutes, I think you said, we know exactly what this movie is going to be. And per screenwriting, and maybe you can talk about Tom Holland here for just a minute. Mm -hmm. It's a great beginning because... I'm not having to sift through a bunch of nonsense to figure out what the hell this film is about. See Malignant? (laughs) See Malignant? Because that opening has mostly nothing to do with the film. It does, but not really till way later. You know what this movie's about. Yeah, right away. Right away. Yeah. And then you also introduce Peter Vincent Mm -hmm. in... Also a really important way, because if you're going to kill the vampire and the staked end or the sharp end of the stake is pointing at yourself and you're ready to bludgeon the sharp end so you can impale the dull end. Yes. Ooh, and that's your expert. Um,
1: Yeah, we have some tough sledding uh, (laughs) to to defeat evil in this. Indeed. Run with Tom Holland for a minute. Tom Holland's interesting. Uh, It's hard to believe this. this is his directorial debut. That's shocking. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to tell it. This feels so polished and so kind of in control of itself, mm-hmm. but he kind of made his mark as a screenwriter. His call to fame was psycho Two, mm-hmm. which isn't a terrible movie. That's a decent ish sequel. And uh, yeah. that kind of got him some clout and then cloak and dagger with
0: Daphne El- Coleman and, and whatever. Elliot. <laughs> oh, it is Elliot, isn't it? From ET. Yeah. You're right.
1: <laughs> and so with all of that, I mean, he had come up with this idea and, had kind of built up a little bit of a name for him. It's not much, but, you know, it was enough to convince Columbia to say, yeah, you can go ahead and direct this to the point where this is the coolest part. Columbia thought so little of this little idea that, you know, it was the last thing that they put on the docket for the year 85. They gave it the smallest budget of any big film coming out that year, $7 million. Hmm. which is also shocking. The kind of effects extravaganza at the end of the thing is like, that's $7 million? Like, what yeah. the geez. And they put all. You're gonna crack up. Columbia Pictures' their marketing blitz for the year of '85 because they thought it was gonna blow the socks off of everyone was perfect. Oh, Travol- Travolta and Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> and so they didn't even care. There was this, so Friday Night was kind of able to almost nicely able to kind of go through with no studio interference because they just didn't care about it. Mm. Whoop. Well. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I mean, if you have a property like
0: perfect on the table, yeah, who? How could that go? Wrong? How can you pass? <laughs> you can't.
1: But this was kind of good for Holland, and you know, he kind of turned this in. He did Child's Play. You know, Chris Sarandon's also in that film, so he made a decent little career uh, for himself uh, off of this off of this little film here. So. uh a really good job at structuring this and establishing rules. I know you and I really like rules. Mm -hmm. We really like to know the stakes and we really like to know our settings in our environment. And I think he slays all three aspects of of the story with that for us. When you
0: speak of slaying, it's hard not to mention Mr. Sarandon in this film. too. Oh yeah. Let's
1: talk about him next.
0: I didn't know until you told me this morning nominated for best supporting in dog day afternoon. We talk a lot about, you and I, Mm -hmm. careers that maybe never fully blossomed. Yeah. This is one, isn't it? Another one, yeah. It didn't quite get there. He's certainly a notable... Had his his moments, yeah. Had his moments. And a very recognizable-looking individual on screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was some hesitancy, as you told me, from him taking on this script because the vampire genre was in such a bad spot.
1: Kind of in a little bit of a shambles. There was some decent stuff all kind of along the way, but mostly it was kind of almost in jokey territory. Yeah. And he didn't want to be a part of farce if he wanted to do serious acting. And so when he read the script, he was just like, I got to do this. Like, I I love how they're portraying this Jerry Dandridge character
0: in some world. That's what we're led to believe as screenwriters sells the concept, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Is this is going to get in somebody's hands and they're going to give it to an actor or an actress. And they are going to read it and say, I just can't pass on this. And lo and behold, I think we have that with, <laughs> pardon the pun, a genre of film that needed some daylight.
1: Absolutely. Nice. <laughs> you couldn't I, help I love um But my favorite part with him is his presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how tall he is, maybe 6'2". He feels big on screen, doesn't he? He, he feels larger than life because he almost glides mm-hmm. from scene to scene his hair helps. You mentioned the fingernails already Or his fingers. Mm-hmm. That great scene too, where we're window esque, where Charlie's just full peeping Tom. Like He's a peeping Tom. He's, he's peeping through the windows as a very sexy scene. Actually, Jerry's about to vamp this woman and undresses her and is about to go in for the bite. And, sees Charlie from across the way and I love when he goes and pulls the shades down with this super long fingers like
0: even that's sort of teasing and flirtatious in a way isn't it almost peep show like yeah and he's the one that's in control of how many quarters you've put in before oh, the yeah, blinds it. go back up exactly everything that Sarandon does in this he does with an emphasis on trying to be seductive and the fact that Char- uh, uh, yeah Charlie's mom mm-hmm. is single immediately with the sound you played puts her in jeopardy too, because she makes a comment. Oh, his gardener live helper is probably gay. So that's off the table. Mm-hmm. Like this is a woman that's a little bit lonely. And
1: finally, someone uh, interesting moved into the neighborhood is what she says in that.
0: Jerry Dandridge seems to have quite a way with just about anybody, not women, just about anybody mm-hmm. except, yeah. except Charlie.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, well, let's, let's save it. Cause I have, I have a clip that'll kind of cue us in. Cause That's interesting. Uh, It is. It's kind of what what, what he's kind of setting up for him, and I have some theories on that.
0: So right beginning, we know who our good guys and our bad guys are. At the beginning, at least what the landscape of the film is, and when we get the blinds being pulled down as Dandridge is vamping, unwitting, hot girl number one Mm -hmm. of what's going to be several in the film, you also get something that I think is very germane to the 1980s yeah. and I think helped to really sell 18 to 35 year old monetizable mail. Mm-hmm. And that's nudity a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Dare I say, and I think I, you probably said, cause you sort of said it too mm-hmm. respectfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
1: it's a very well done. scene. It, <laughs> yeah.
0: Isn't it strange that we keep coming back to that in recent weeks from true romance to yeah, Danube and Sarandon to mm-hmm. we. We kind of, for all the misses we've had with Warner Brothers, we're not missing in that element of film, not Warner Brothers film, but film right now. Strange.
1: Yeah, those scenes. And then the one later, and there's no nudity in that one. I think that scene's really well done, too, with the final seduction of Amy. Yeah. We'll get to that uh, moment, too. Let's talk about um, his little sidekick, Evil Ed, Mm -hmm. Stephen Jeffries. To me, it's not a 1980s film, unless you kind of have that, like, goofy sidekick. But Ed, he's got such an interesting... His hair... The way he speaks, his line, "You're so cool, Brewster," and this and that, but he kind of gifts Charlie like with all the tools of the trade, and he kind of um, he kind of gives him the the whole breakdown.
3: Very funny, Brewster. On, evil, please. I'm not kidding. Just tell me what to do. Don't call me evil anymore. Why should I help you anyway? <laughs> look, look, I've got eight bucks. You help me, and and it's yours. Uh, well. Far be it from me to turn down a fool's money. (laughs) Uh, Now, where and when do you expect the vampire to attack? In my bedroom tonight. Uh, Start with this. But you must have total faith in it for it to work. Then get some garlic. Links of the stuff you can wear around your neck and hang from your window. If he comes for you, that'll be the way. Then, Uh, of course, there's holy water. (laughs) But uh, you got to get a priest to say a blessing over it first. (laughs) That's it? I'm afraid so. But your best protection right now, Charles, is that a vampire cannot enter your house without being invited by the rightful owner first. You sure about that? Positive.
1: This was the first film that I think I saw that portrayed in the invitation to come into the threshold, and then once they're there, it's their playground now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- this is a great scene. We love scenes like this. This is the breakdown here. You need the cross. You must have total faith, and that's going to come into play a lot at the end. Mm-hmm. The holy water, the blessing—that's the test that they. That's the, so the. Somebody got to the blood. That's the blood scene from the thing for this movie is is it blessed or not? And do you believe or not? Yeah. And for Peter Vincent, he's just like, man, I got a $500 savings bond now. I don't need to believe. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the whole garlic. So, Ed, I think is pivotal and he's kind of nerdy. It doesn't look, it looks like Charlie might be his only buddy. Mm. Uh, and what a buddy at that, that they make, he makes fun of him all the time. They call, he calls him evil. You little troll, you urchin, like get away from here to the point when pencil Dick. Yeah. Pencil Dick. (laughs) Great. What a great insult. And to the point when at the end, when Jerry's offer is just kind of super intriguing to him, like, why not have a lifestyle where I'm not the blunt of every joke? So, Stephen Jeffries, mm-hmm.
0: from the sound that you all heard, it sounds almost like he's just comfortable enough with the lines where he has them submitted to memory, but it's not far from needing a refresher to look back on the page of the script to remember what the dialogue is. Mm-hmm. My first viewing of this, that's my take on Ed. Mm-hmm. As I watched it over and over and over, I came to an understanding which is that awkwardness or that un- unease. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say wooden because he's not wooden. Yeah. It's almost too nerdy, melodramatic. like he's almost trying too hard. Mm-hmm. I wonder, Jesse, <clears throat> if Mr. Jeffries is a very, very talented actor that is playing Ed as awkwardly as he is because I want to give you two other moments that prove that he might not be, As ingenue-like at the craft as I'm surmising. Number one, when he's seduced by Dandridge Mm -hmm. and the way he's able to turn that down into a state of submission, Mm. and then latter, 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 latter moments of his character in the film, when he's able to cry on cue after Vincent finishes him off.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (sighs) That's a pretty big range. If you can go from that, (laughs) his little laugh and his... uh, Lines, line, line, please, line. That it feels like. Yeah. I think, and that's why Ed is so off putting mm-hmm. and why he makes fun of him. It also speaks to if that's Charlie's only friend, he's got a girlfriend on the rocks that's you know, as frigid as in yeah. Alaska in winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this guy, it also speaks to what Charlie's about. Maybe yeah. he's not the most likable guy around either. Yeah. But I think Stephen Jeffries mm-hmm. is quite talented at the craft and it's hidden playing in it, playing it that way. Almost. Please don't anybody mistake these two for each other, but I'm just going to give you an example. Almost Shelley Winters as Alice trip mm. in a place in the sun where you hate her so much in that film that you want to see her at the bottom of loon Lake. You forget that she's not really like that in life. And that's just a terrific acting job.
1: Yeah, it could be. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, Think about that. That let me just get to it. Yeah. Later on in the film, Ed's going to be vamped in the alley by Dandridge, and the process that that goes through goes from teasing Amy and Charlie to terror to submission, and there is a peaceful, tranquil state that he moves to before Dandridge vamps him. That you have it? I think I do.
2: You don't have to be afraid of me. I know what it's like being different. Only they won't pick on you anymore. Or beat you up. I'll see to that.
3: All you have to do is take my hand. Here, Edward. Take my hand.
1: Yeah, an olive branch, a father figure, you know, looking for, you know, you know, trying to help out a son.
0: dander just saying everything that you said, too. Mm-hmm. The outcast, the social reject that yeah. just needs a place to belong. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about Ed before we move on back to the story. Okay. Is Ed's makeup in this film the best of all the makeup jobs in it?
1: Oh yeah, it's pretty good. I think uh, so too. Yeah, his I what they do with his teeth, and then especially with the burn cross, uh-huh. the way
0: it blisters and mm-hmm. festers after. Yeah, I think there's a great image on T Public this week. Yeah, of that very <laughs> yeah, blistered is. forehead. <laughs> You're so cool, Brewster. Evil led image.
1: Exactly, and then they give him some gozer eyes from Ghostbuster, yeah. and it's complete. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a good job on on him.
0: It's but a really good. You've asked me about supporting characters. Yeah, I th- that was the flight last week, right? Mm-hmm damn, I don't know why I didn't think of evil Ed
1: yeah yeah he's like see he's, he, and he's he's fun like you remember him mm-hmm. after watching that especially his deliveries and, and whatnot. He's like I'm not the one feeling trig.
0: that's right <laughs>
1: uh let's talk about one more character and then we'll go back and start and we'll save the big one until his re- reveal a little bit later okay uh Cole. Yeah. The familiar? (laughs) Yeah, the familiar. What's his name? Uh, Is it Cole? Oh, Jesus. No, I think that's the... the, uh, Billy Cole. Yeah, Billy Cole. Billy Cole. The familiar, yeah. The familiar, I think, is just such an understated aspect of these vampire films, and we haven't really seen it uh, in any of these. I mean, Jamie Gertz a little bit, but she wasn't really, like doing the chores of the Lost Boys. right? (laughs) Billy Cole is in charge of not only disposing of the bodies after they've been sucked dry from their feeding, he's got to paint the house dark so that no sunlight gets in. He's got to, you know, put all the the cuckoo clocks up. He's in charge of all the chores during the day and to make sure no one shows up. And one of our favorite scenes is when Charlie brings the cops over and they kind of have a nice pitter-patter of like... (laughs) (laughs) And... He's in charge. He's like the first line of defense. And there's a great scene later on when they um, test the holy water where he says, well, it was fake. Have him touch this cross. And Billy's the first one that kind of like steps forward before Jerry backs up because he's going to take that bullet before Jerry does. The power over Billy Cole. Not fully vampiric, but has enough of the guys and the powers of the vampire to get the job done. What a cool character. Great character. Yeah.
0: James Mason, mm-hmm. Dwight Fry, mm-hmm. Jamie Gertz, mm-hmm. the guy that plays Haken and Let the Right One In. Yeah. Uh, big, big role for the vampire. When the vampire is asleep, someone needs to protect the vampire. Mm-hmm. The question that I think is really good with the familiar is taking on this really tough, monumentally large task that is clearly riddled with danger. Mm-hmm. What are you getting in return? In Rensfield's case, I think it was rats, rats, rats. <laughs> I think at some level it is a semi-vamping, mm-hmm. but it can't be full vamping because mm-hmm. they have to function in the daylight. Yeah, That's a really interesting character that you can play with. And most of the time it's fairly undefined, yeah? Yep. I don't think we get a whole lot of information on why or how they do what they do other than they just love the vampire.
1: Or when it happened too. Yeah. yeah. Has he been around as long as when Jerry's been around? Has he just picked him up along the way? And they're just kind of, you know, picking up that Ed's going to be part of that, too.
0: Billy Cole in this is presented as
1: the muscle. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Almost a thug. Yeah? Yep. Do you realize how much trouble you've caused me? Spying on me. Almost disturbing my sleep this afternoon. Telling policemen about me!
2: To die, boy.
1: Of course, I give you something I don't have. A choice. Forget about me, Charlie. Forget about me, and I'll forget about you. What do you say, Charlie? I think Jerry's subtly hinting at how awful it is to really be a vampire. And you don't want me to bestow to you what's happened to me whenever it happened. Because look at what I have to do. I have to feed every night on women and men. Uh, I have to, you know, move from town to town. Jerry's essentially taken the guise of a serial killer. And, because I wondered this while watching it, was like, why wouldn't he just do away with Jerry or... uh, uh, Billy. Not Billy. Charlie and his mom and just be done with it already. Because much like a serial killer... If you're BTK or anything, you just can't just go around just killing everyone because then you you lose the 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 veil of mystery. You know what I mean? You lose your cover of defense, your disguise, if you reveal yourself like that. So it either a becomes a game for him to see how far he can test Charlie, and it, he gets a little bit of enjoyment out of that, or b he doesn't want to give him that life that he has in a kind of a tragic way. Strange,
0: uh, yeah, he could do Charlie in quicker than you can say boo Mm -hmm. i thought about this today is charlie given the respect that dandridge offers no one else in this film because dandridge sees charlie as a formidable opponent and thus there's a challenge that charlie presents that at least gives him something other than just the nightly rigmarole of that could be a vamping unwitting unwitting hooker yeah or or Does he have bigger plans in mind for Charlie as a more capable familiar because Cole is not or just tired? That could be it too. There's a difference in that relationship between Mm -hmm. the two of them that he offers no one else in this film. You have to acknowledge that we both have. Mm -hmm. And I think exploring that and decoding that is one of the more enjoyable pieces of this movie.
1: I think it could either be sport, it could be sympathy. I think it could, you know, also be, uh, mm. again, that, that whole kind of serial killer thing that I've, I've been discussing about, look, you, you go your way, let me do my thing. We'll both be happy and just mm-hmm. stick out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. And we just look the other way. Uh, you didn't need to kill that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, it could be a, a lot of things. Maybe Jerry's tired of moving around. He's always like, I look, I don't kid. I want to, oh, I don't, yeah. don't want to move again. Because I have to go move from town to town, dry up all these people, like, uh, because I keep getting found out or whatnot. So, what's even introduced that
0: doesn't play out to any difference much in the relationship of Dandridge to anybody is how closely Amanda Bierce, um, Amy, resembles a former love in Dandridge's life. Now, that's introduced in like a painting. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, that's going to be a big deal. And he's got to go through Charlie to get to Amy. But in fact, he goes through Amy to get to Charlie. Yep. That's odd, right? Because that uh, that picture is very proper to vampire lore.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that because I could go either way. I could either say I'm glad that the film decides not to spend too much time going into the because they don't need to. Uh, Yeah, right. Uh, Because that's Dracula. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You remind me of Mina. Mina. (laughs) Exactly. Mina reincarnated. And we spend the rest of the film doing that. Whereas right. this film is Peter Vincent and Charlie called arms mm-hmm. type, more, more of a movie. Oh,
0: so well said.
1: But I think the film also kind of doesn't need that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jerry could just see her and just be like, Oh, what prey like, or, but they try to like, I think give her a reason to not be just, just sucked into a husk. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that photo keeps her around long enough to be stakes in the game later on going forward. So
0: off the top of your head. Okay. Think about Vampire versus Van Helsing opposite. Okay. Maybe not Van Helsing per name, but that opposite. I, in my recollection, cannot come up with a relationship that has as much mano e mano as Charlie and Dandridge do in this film.
1: Oh, yeah. Back and forth.
0: A lo- the cat and mouse starts at minute 28 <laughs> and doesn't end until the sun sets on this film. Literally, right? Mm -hmm. Or sunrises on this film, I guess. Mm -hmm. Those two, from the time the blind is pulled down at the vamping of unwitting hooker number one in rear window Dandridge's bedroom Mm -hmm. first to the end of the film, those two are going at it the entire time, which is so perfect for the 1980s, especially this time. We need a couple boobs. We need a good guy and a bad guy, and they need to fight. Yeah. Whereas... Compare that to the hunger.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Compare that to Dracula. Yeah. Compare that to we could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Can yeah. you think of another one where they oppose each other as much as the two do in this film?
1: But you see, that's what makes me think of it as sport as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Like exactly. it's like a game. Like it's something for him to do that's not just sucking people dry. Like it's it's a formidable opponent in in Charlie. It's it's what I would want to have seen a little bit more of in Lost Boys between David and uh Jesus Christ. Why can't I can't remember, What was Jason Patrick's name?
0: Um, oh, I don't, yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> I yes. can't
1: remember the other ones. I got, oh gosh, I'm sorry, my audience. So, in the 80s in film, Michael, Michael, Jesus Christ, yeah,
0: the in the 80s in film, there were three things, right? Yeah, boobs, yeah, violence, and cocaine. Yep, cocaine doesn't seem to have a fit in this film, so yeah. we got to go with the other two. Mm-hmm. It's just for all of the things that off mic we have had discussions about, and you know, my issues mm-hmm. with some things in the 80s. Yeah. In this film, and to Chris Sarandon's yes to taking the part, those things that sometimes bother me in 1980s films, I think might have done a lot to resurrect this genre. Mm -hmm. Because if this is played out, and I know Catherine Bigelow did a different version that was a bit more auteur, but in like more tentpole, if you would call this a tentpole film, I guess Columbia.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. The 80s, in a sense, brought of vigor or a revitalization or a reimagining of the way we could do vampires because instead of just creature of the night that's inaudible that shows up and fucks I mean vamps it's interesting those are both four letter words yep. and they're done that on purpose mm-hmm. Faux a b or c what it did is it gave our villain the vampire a bit of a sympathetic feeling with what you just said like I wouldn't want to give this gift or curse to anybody and I don't want to do this to Charlie. Yeah. But it also humanizes them in a way that Hulk smash and that's why Hulk will never have a movie on his own because he can't do anything except break things. Yeah. It changed that entire werewolves well, too. Mm-hmm. It changed that entirely for vampires and made them more human, shall yeah. we say?
1: Yeah, a little tragic.
0: Seduction, mm-hmm. feeding, communication. Let's be honest about it. A tire that fits the time oh my not some
1: <laughs> It's the best part of Jerry Dandridge.
0: <laughs> so strange that in 1985, yeah. this film uses what's big in the 80s to take something that's been around since in American cinema since 1931.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Uh before we get to Peter Vincent cuz that's a very inspired casting choice and a very important character in this I want to hear your Fright Night story, and then I'm going to share mine.
0: Good. Thank you. I'm glad you—I was going to forget. Okay. 85, I'm 13.
1: Okay.
0: And me and my little brother, who at that time would have been 8, had a babysitter named DeAndrea, and somehow, by the grace of God, we talked her into taking us to this film. She says, all right, boys, if we go to this film, you can't tell your (laughs) mother— Because I shouldn't be taking you to this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was, uh, lips are sealed. I'm yeah. not going to say anything about it. Let's go. My brother, lips are sealed.
1: Eight. Eight. Yeah, you might have been okay. Thir- yeah. Uh, eight's a little a little young.
0: This is a harder movie than Salem's Lot, and we know what that film did to me. So, I can sure. only imagine what it did to my little eight-year-old brother, and that played out that evening. Okay. So, we got away with it. Until about 10.30. And my little brother crawls out of his bed and he can't sleep. And he goes into my mom's room and through a series of back and forth. Why can't you sleep? I'm scared because of the movie we saw this afternoon. And he spills the beans. Jeez. To the point that my mom is so furious that she calls the babysitter in the middle of the evening Mm. and fires her ass on the spot. Oh, jeez. So I don't even know this because I'm asleep. So I wake up the next morning. I'm like, what's grandma doing here? Why isn't DeAndrea here? Cause she, this person would come and help get us ready in the morning before my mom went off to work. Cause she had the early uh, nursing shift in the morning. Yeah. She won't be here anymore, Matt. Oh, no. What do you mean? She won't be here anymore. I love DeAndrea. This gal that took me to, I, she was star in my yeah, book. That's a
1: cool perk. Hell yeah.
0: <laughs> nice looking. Like I love DeAndrea. I had a hot babysitter that took me to the, like, can you we was, go see
1: first blood part two next? Right. <laughs> this is going to be a great summer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We let her go. What do you mean we let her go? I look at my brother. Your brother couldn't sleep last night. Is there something you want to tell me? Nope. There's nothing I want to tell you, Mom. What movie did you guys see? We didn't see a movie. You better tell me you're grounded. I looked at him, I said, seriously? Seriously.
1: Oh, jeez. I
0: lost it, man. <laughs> I was a wreck for two days. I tried to get the number so I could call her and ask her to come back. It Damn. Damn is right. Oh, geez. My stupid little brother. But in all honesty. Taking an eight-year-old to Fright Night, yeah, it's probably yeah, the, not the best decision you one can make.
1: A little bit pushing it. Yeah, well, you would have been okay. <laughs> yeah, I would, but yeah. yeah, he had to come too. So, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the truth geez. is, like
0: it even did back those days. Yeah, that did scare me a little bit. There was a couple moments I really felt not so much now, obviously, mm-hmm. but that first time through, I really did feel a foreboding worry for Charlie.
1: Oh, the odds are
0: totally against yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's got he, much of a chance.
1: Even when he's got Peter Vincent at the end, I'm still like, ah, I kind of don't know if these two are going to be able to pull it out. Like, Vincent's like scared. What will save him because I love his betrayal. Yeah. I want to hear your story. Okay. I paused the movie when we got to it, uh, okay. when we were in Peter Vincent's uh, apartment. apartment. And there's a, uh, on the wall, it's, I can't remember the name of the university, but it's, uh, and you can't even tell in the movie. It's in two shots, I think. Peter Vincent, a degree in uh, psychology, and it's framed all nice, yellow piece of paper. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles one time, and I went into like kind of like a nerdy kind of comic book store. And, you know, they had comic books and, like, you know, vintage toys and Star Wars shit and everything. But there was kind of this interesting display case there that had kind of, like, movie memorabilia. I think there was a few things from the Goonies, like some One-Eyed Willie, like, treasure and stuff. And kind of, like, hidden in, like, the back of the thing was this degree, mm. Peter Vincent's degree. So that's I'm like, cool. super intrigued. So I go up to the the shopkeep and I'm like, how much is the, the Peter Vincent? And he was selling it too. It was, everything was for sale. And he was like, Oh, that's not for sale. That's kind of like out of my personal collection. I kind of have it here as just window dressing. And I'm like, really, it's not for sale. Like name your price. Like I'll, I I'd really be into that. Uh, and he's like, no, I'm not selling it. So then I start like throwing numbers out. I'm like, $200? $300? Wow. I'm bartering him like he's some sort of gypsy. <laughs> 500 And then in my foolish, infinite, like, youthful wisdom, oh. I just go, $1,000. Like, on the spot. I'll do it right now. And he says no. Oh, wow. So two things either happened. A, it was authentic, yep. and he couldn't part with it. He's just as so much a fan of this film as I am. Mm-hmm. Or B, it was a uh, reproduction, fake, and He was a good guy and didn't want to swindle me out of... Rip you off. Rip me off. So one of the two happened because you don't... How do you turn down $1,000 or something if you don't care about it? You know what I mean? That about seven people on earth know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So he didn't part with that. I was so disappointed because it it would be in this office right now. It would be Peter Vincent's degree from Fright Night. uh, Just a prop that you don't even barely see in the movie. I just thought it was so cool. That is cool. That Tom Holland had the foresight in the design of the film to... Put that kind of a detail in something you can't even see in focus. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh wow! That one slipped my hands. I'm still a little salty of it, but either thankful that I didn't like get ripped off either. So, where did you come across this degree? Where was it? It was in La- it was in Los Angeles. It was, I can't remember the name of the shop, but it was like a like a movie. It was like a comic book shop first. Wow! But it had like a, like a like a little movie memorabilia with like posters and stuff. That's pretty awesome. And I had never like seen like movie movie, movie memorabilia kind of set up like that before. Mm-hmm. I've been to like comic cons where they have like a gun autographed by all the James Bonds. And I was like $2,000. I was like, I can't afford that. But I was willing in that space, $1,000 for that degree. Wow. That's a pretty awesome story. So, so either thankful that I didn't or just disappointed that it's not here where we could look at it every day.
0: Let's err on the side of goodness here and recognize <laughs> that he didn't want to swindle some kid out of a grand. There you go. Let's go with that. That is an awesome story. Though.
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So. I wonder how many people passed by that and looked over it and never thought anything ne- about never it. Never thought a uh, second thing about it, but mm-hmm. because I was such a, a fan of it, I was like, ah, I'm intrigued by that little piece of paper you got right there. It's a good story. I don't want one-wide Willie's treasure. I do like the Goonies as well, but anyway... Let's talk about the man in the aforementioned piece of parchment, uh, Peter Vincent, mm-hmm. portrayed by Mr. Roddy McDowell, who's had a really good career up to this point. Uh, he was in all the Lassie movies as a kid. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for How Green Was My Valley, the John Ford flick, mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes, Poseidon Adventure, uh, Cleopatra. I think he's third build in Cleopatra. I think it's wow. Taylor, Richard Burton, Roddy McDowell. Wow. He's like her lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And then this, and, and it was originally written for Vincent Price in mind. You know, of course, you, why would you not want Vincent Price? But at to that point in Price's career, he was like, I'm done with whores. Like, if, if someone wants me to be in horror, they're usually kind of making fun of me or making fun of like what a has-been I am. So, Oops, Peter.
0: or Yeah, Vincent Price.
1: That yeah. might have been a miss. But, uh, the, but we're getting Roddy. and he, the, I love the way he plays it because he's such a cheese dick. <laughs> to take another 80s mm-hmm. <laughs> insult. <laughs> Uh, When he shows up on the screen, he's so full of shit in how serious this is to the point where he gets fired from the network. Charlie comes begging him for help, and he is just like, that's nice of you. Too bad there weren't a few more of your fans there. I love how sympathetic he is in his delivery, almost very grandfatherly and melancholy, and there's a sadness to him. And then once the shit hits the fan, and I'll play a little sound here, but I want to hear what you think. He has this look on his face for the whole rest of the film of disbelief, and I just equate it as, what the fuck is going on here? And I just have to take it at face value, like this that look in his face, and the, my favorite moment in the film, and we'll discuss it later. He does everything with just eyes and sadness and just worry and tepidation and... What do you think of that? We haven't... Usually the vampire killer, Mr. Peter Cushing, or Edward Von Sloaner are like, they're like, I'm here and I'm ready to fight evil. This guy's like, I don't want anything to do with this, but I will take your $500 uh, uh, savings loan.
0: So a lot of this movie seduction, right? I think part of the seduction of Peter Vincent into taking on Jerry Dandridge is through the seduction of his ego Mm -hmm. or stroking, if you want to go there. Yeah. And... Everybody that approaches Peter Vincent, which is the totality of three people in this film, he thinks are autograph seeking fanboys or fangirls. Man, that's ego. Big time. You said cable network. I think it might be like community access, it honestly. Could, it could
1: also be that too, yeah.
0: If he's lucky he becomes Elvira, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's on channel twenty seven at eleven thirty in, you know, Sioux Falls mm-hmm. or wherever in I you know, Iowa. Um, did you so, pick up it was Iowa because of the University of Iowa mug? Nice. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> so, he just assumes that he's a little bit larger than he is, and then we get really an important moment and financially he's strapped. Yeah. He's about to be evicted. So things are not going so well for him. And mostly it's because he feels like his genre has fallen out of favor with the young ones because they like slasher horror. They sure do. Which is true. (laughs) In 1985, of course they did. And this is a man that's just trying to hang on to what little he ever had, fleeting glory. Mm -hmm. If that's going to be the guide, the director, Mm -hmm. the foundation, again, goes back to what we've already talked about, poor Charlie. Yeah. Dandridge is really good at what he does.
1: Cheer up, Charlie. <laughs>
0: yeah. Dandridge is a very... Capable. Murderous, deadly mm-hmm. vampire. Yeah. Capable, murderous, deadly vampire. Yeah. You've got Peter... I'm sorry, I almost said Peter Cushing, but you know what I mean? we mm-hmm. got got um, Peter Vincent over here. And this guy can't even pay his bills on time because mm-hmm. no one gives a damn because he's such a joke. And you know what? We talk about little things in film that matter. Yeah. It's set up in that opening bit. I'm going to stab this vampire in a movie like that. It's it's a faux movie, but it's a movie like Hammer horror type film that he mm-hmm. starred in as a Van Helsing to kill Mina. As a matter of fact, yeah, he's got the stake backwards. I yeah, know
1: that's all you need to know about the character. So smart, yeah.
0: And this is who Charlie is pinning his hopes to. This is the guide to take on the vampire next door. That's really really well done yeah
1: it's good casting mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of Roddy McDowell and it's you know he's amazing as Cornelius the kind of yeah. mannerisms and things he does with like his face and his mouth are remarkable like mm-hmm. yeah he must have studied mime at some point uh, and the, the looks and stuff that he gives it's a series I've revisited recently as a matter of fact that's good and not so good at the same time it can not be but, but Charlie you saw it Now, you know, as well as I do, that no vampire can drink blessed water. And wasn't blessed. Are you calling me a liar, young man?
3: If he's not a vampire, have him touch this.
1: Oh, Charlie, you've made a fool of yourself once. There's no reason to compound the error. Yes, Charlie, you've already caused your friends quite enough pain. You wouldn't want to cause them anymore, would you? Real quick, let's, we'll dissect that scene because there's a lot that happens there. Amy meets Jerry. Everyone's in love with Jerry. Peter sees the reflection. I read this about Tom Holland, too, that, you know, and if anything that this podcast can do is just shed more light on the art of filmmaking and what it takes to get a movie made— Because you usually pop it on and it's done. You're like, yeah, whatever. There's a lot of work that goes into making these things. Mm. Uh, And I don't know how often they do this now, but they rehearsed the whole film for about two to three weeks before filming. So when it came time to shoot, they only needed – everyone was so ready to go – that they only needed to do two or three takes of each each scene. Interesting. And so I was like, well, that's the power of rehearsal because you're already a fine-tuned machine at that point. You're like a play or, you know, like a sports team that's practiced well in the week. Mm. Uh, versus someone like David Fincher, who's doing like 140 takes of one scene. Like, what what's going on here? Like, and William Friedkin's the same way. He didn't like coverage. He didn't like 20, 30 takes. He's like, if we don't get it in like two or three, like we don't, we're never going to get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So- We got it. Let's good. Let's move on. Efficient filmmaking. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. then with $7 million, kind of not a lot in 85 for a genre piece like this. Right. To Tom Holland's credit, I mean, that's efficiency. To that. Yeah. Maybe we should practice a little bit. Yeah. Maybe Warner Brothers should practice that a little bit. (laughs) Well said.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things that really drives me batty and you too in horror (laughs) is in any horror film, the important piece where our troubled protagonists turn their sad situation over to the authorities that are usually the police. And we know that we have to get through this. And then the police aren't going to listen and mostly they're just going to be some sad fodder. What Fright Night does is that's the whole movie. That's the whole second act. It's
1: the boy who cried wolf, yeah.
0: They choose to say, okay, instead of... There's a vampire next door. I'm going to go call the cops. And the cops go over and get killed. And then we've addressed the police issue per story-wise. This is, nobody believes Charlie. And because nobody believes him, that becomes half, yeah. two-thirds of the film. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. And that was such a refreshing take from yeah. the cop that says, if you come down to the office and tell me one more time that this next door neighbor of yours is a vampire. You
1: got to say, say it how he does. I'll throw you in jail forever.
0: <laughs> is that close enough?
1: Yeah. And I'm dirty Harry. <laughs> I may not be dirty Harry, but if your ass comes down to the station again, I'll throw you in jail forever. So good. And so authority figures, cops are Loomis's. If this was a slasher, yeah. cannot be trusted or they won't believe us. We've already cried Wolf once. If we go do it a second time when shit hits the fan, they're not coming. They're they're going to lock us up.
0: Every time that happens I'm like, "Okay, let's get through the next 10 minutes and hurry up and kill this guy so I can get back to the people in this that I care about because I know what this is not in this film."
1: I can't remember how they do it in the remake, but that's you're right. That's an important aspect to address. Is how does authority respond to the claims of Something out as outlandish as Charlie's bringing to the table.
0: And what's great about this is because nobody, including Evil Ed, who seems to have built an entire lexicon, if not lexicon, world on defeating Universal Classic Monsters, mm-hmm. if that guy's not buying you, you know what you get? You get isolation. Yeah. And Charlie, a couple times in his films, tries to fight off Dandridge, by being part of a larger group. Mm-hmm. Your girlfriend wants the vampire to fuck
2: <laughs>
0: your best friend. Who's also your worst enemy. Who's crazier than you are. Doesn't believe you. Your mom's doped up on Valium. The cops want to throw you in jail. Isolated. Peter
1: Vincent doesn't believe you.
0: And Peter Vincent is even less capable than you are. And you didn't know anything before you talked to evil Ed and Peter Vincent. Yeah. Has had a career fighting these things. Yeah it's so good smart choice because you have to involve the police if you're going to have there's dead bodies popping up all over the place the police have to play a role so get them in there and weave them into the story to tom holland yeah i'm gonna say good job good good crafting
1: yeah can we get to the
0: the dance club oh yes (laughs) i'll just let you have it go
1: uh, well, I like dance club scenes and movies. They don't have to be in the 80s. It could be 70s. We did Saturday Night Fever and Boogie Nights. There's just something about a club with pop and music that characters live in yeah. that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So here we go. The Jerry gives them chase, chase into this uh, dance club. Charlie's on the, trying to ring up Vincent to really convince him what's going on. And Jerry Dandridge walks in, very Michael Douglas and in basic instinct, with his cable-knit sweater. <laughs> And just kind of owns the club. Like he like snakes his way all the way up to Amy. And I don't know if you notice this, but there's the women are like grabbing him and like mm-hmm. grabbing him over the shoulder. And like maybe one grabbed his ass. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he just shows up and then just Amy's just like, she's like I got to go with him. Like, like how can I deny this guy? And then a scene, so this is remarkable too, the transformation of Amy at this point now. She unbuttons her shirt, her hair somehow does like a poof up and it's like almost like wild. A little bit wild. Yeah. And it's like, oh wow, like Amy's what's 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 going on here? Unhinged and, by the vampire. And then the dance is a little sexy too. Uh grabbing asses and he's grinding like, before d- grinding was even a thing. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Grinding before hip hop music. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. To the song uh, "Give It Up" by Evelyn Champagne uh, Champagne King, who I've actually seen in concert before. Really? (laughs) Yes.
0: Oh, wait. Hold on. There's a story there. No, there's not. By
1: herself? No. She came with like a bunch of groups of that era, with like Zap and Heat Wave and the Delphonics, and she was like, it was like a like a, a caravan of musicians, and she was one of them.
0: Oh, she didn't open up for the Moody Blues one time. No. They weren't there that time. Okay, that's a great story. Yeah, wow, you've seen her. i have never her. even heard of her. Exactly, yeah.
1: Evelyn Champagne King. Yeah, there's one song that I I don't know the name of it, but you've heard it. I'll play it for you. Okay. Uh oh no, as it, it, it go like love break me down. Oh yeah, that's her. Oh yeah, yeah, got it. And then this one, but this is a cool moment here, and you know, to talk about more about Charlie, just the ropes again, uh, up against the ropes. We're going into act three and we want to see our pro tag at the lowest he can possibly be when Jerry kisses his girlfriend mm-hmm. and he just throws him a punch and then Jerry just catches it and like is about to crush his fit. I don't want to kill you, Charlie. He's like, I'm just going to come back to my place and we're going to we're going to handle this mm-hmm. again, the sport aspect of, of what's going on here. But now I've stolen your woman. Ooh. Something I wish David would have done last week, but then you kind of spun it in. Maybe he just wanted Michael after all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a great, and then so then uh, Jerry goes full gozer, gozer eyes, and mm. like vamps his way out of the the thing, steals Amy, and at that point it's like, how's Charlie gonna win the day? I don't know. Four vamped people yeah. in the jeep, and now I have to go get Peter Vincent.
0: Yeah, at this point, everybody that's close has either been turned or left Charlie cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And, um, you know, Ed, of all people, if the bad guy is driving away with your woman and evil Ed is in the back mocking you, mm-hmm. talk about second act reversal and it's lower than it's ever been. Again, to the writing credits with the beats, there's mm-hmm. a reason those work. Charlie's got nothing going for him yeah,
1: now. Yeah, we're, we got to figure something out. I do have two clips to play. I've been waiting two and a half years to do this with you. Oh, shit. So the first one's going to be Evil Ed, and then the second one's from another movie. What have you done to me? Back.
3: The master will kill you for this, but not fast. Slowly. Oh, so slowly.
1: Back!
2: Ah!
3: I say back!
1: Ah! Okay, and the second one's from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Peter, when you said Spider-Man
2: said no, you meant you said
3: no. Harry, what did you do? What you made me do,
1: you were my friend. And you betrayed me! No. Dane DeHaan goes full evil Ed. <laughs> okay, so
0: to that, I love it. To you, good job. And I know you have this sound too, so let's get the moment in whatever happened to their careers for Stephen Jeffrey and Dane DeHaan. All right. Here me, it is. Give me one second. All right. no.
1: Oh, hey. Perfect. Hang on, wait for it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>
0: That's so perfect. Wow. Yeah. Dane DeHaan
1: channeling the inner Stephen Jeffrey to be Evil Ed part two, Jesse. I knew it the, when I was in the theater watching Amazing Spider-Man 2. I was like, "What's he, what, A, what's he doing? And B, does anyone else know what's going on right now? <laughs> I've asked you a lot. Whatever happened to Dane DeHaan? You've just given me my answer. Yeah, you stole from this movie. My <laughs>
0: God. That's crazy. They really are the same.
1: The pantamony, and you betrayed
0: me. And if you want to look at the makeup at the time, I bet you they're not that much different either. Because isn't he on the road to Green Goblin at that point?
1: Yeah, he's full Goblin blood at that point. (laughs) Nah.
0: Goblin blood, vampire blood.
1: Excellent. Let's talk. Amazing
0: Spider Man 2 sucks. Even more so now.
1: (laughs) It's it's a notch lower in (laughs) Rock Gut now. (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about this final act of the film because it's balls out, ready to just take down the vamps at this point. We do convince Peter Vincent who's very hesitant again but he does show up uh here at the precipice of the steps but even so like when they're like about to go in he like pauses and Charles is like what are you doing he's like oh oh nothing let's go and he he doesn't want to go in they go in they 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 go through it all and then you know we get the the great delivery Welcome to fright night For real. Where is Amy? Up here. All you have to do is get by me.
0: Back, spawn of Satan.
1: <laughs> oh, really? On me, Mr. Vincent. So something needs to happen for Peter Vincent to fully believe. Because up until this moment, when Jerry Danish comes and crushes his cross, he still doesn't believe that this something's awry here. He's about to learn here in just a second. But uh, can we talk about Amy's vamping scene real quick? I'd love it. What a great seduction scene. Not only does he put on his, his love jams mix, uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's it's the full transformation of Amanda for, for at this point. Who Again, Marcy Darcy, she's so square in that TV show, uh, Married with Children. She's mm-hmm. square in this film. And now here she is, like, the mm-hmm. one who doesn't want to have sex with Charlie is now going to lose her virginity to Jerry Dandridge, vampire of the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, and the way that they, they – vamp- And I don't know, like, this is a great, like, biting, blood-trickling scene. Again, the transferring of fluids yep. is when the – process is the process is complete is because uh our familiar hasn't gone through this directly ed's gone through this because he's fully fully transformed uh orgasmic like you can't you can't get away from it 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 fades into just moans from her yep what do you think
0: uh i told you there's a couple moments that remind me of hitchcock in the film Mm -hmm. so i told you the rear window bit yeah watching peter vincent run down the stairs from a superior position was very psycho like Mm -hmm. This is the third one. This is very tippy like in The Birds, mm. where we are watching or we know that something is happening that is not sexual, but the sounds don't match because it does sound orgasmic. Yeah. Look, the vamp, vampire vamping the victim is more akin to sex than birds pecking your eyes out in the bedroom. But nonetheless, tippy Hedron's moaning and Amanda Bierce's moaning in this both take you auditorily to a place that's like, what's going on here? Yeah,
1: moments of horror that are meant to be euphoric, which is, <laughs> define that. I mean, that's crazy.
0: What I like about Dandridge's seduction of Amy is she starts the same kind of banter that we've seen her have with Charlie, the, uh, you know, back and forth, hesitation, back and forth. Yeah. And he just taps her lips and basically tells her, shh, 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 you don't have to say anything. He doesn't even say anything. <laughs> just kind of looks at her like, no, 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 no.
1: I'm in control.
0: And then just slows it down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, she's the one that undoes the clip on the back of her dress. And she, much like she did with Charlie, but Charlie couldn't be bothered because he was in the binoculars looking at some guy move a thing out of the Jeep (laughs) next door. Oh,
1: here you have an active participant. How
0: about that? Well well said.
1: Ready to seal the deal.
0: A man versus a boy, I guess. And so Dandridge being the gentleman that he is, isn't going to leave a woman in that state. Interesting choice on where he bites her, though, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't choose to go full neck. It's more trap.
1: And then he bites her twice, too. Twice. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. But
0: what's really great about it for the geography on the body of where she gets bit, it's just an interesting thing. It doesn't really change that she's now a vampire. The canvas that's her back Mm -hmm. with the two drops of blood trickling down, it's clean i it's, love it right it's not gruesome in a movie that's filled with lots of gruesomeness mm-hmm. this is not exactly it's clean and um formal
1: yeah mm-hmm. it's a great scene it really is i always I forget just how well put together it is but it's a it,
0: perfect description jesse it's clean that's perfect yeah mm-hmm. it's
1: like three little drops that just like so perfect mm. my ocd brain just like i love it <laughs> how many times <laughs> did you have to do that to get it perfect yep but Peter Vincent's going to get his moment here of realization when he goes to the Brewsters next door because he's scared. He runs out of the house. Mm-hmm. And then there's evil Ed uh, in the in the mom's bed. I, I love when he approaches him because he's got the Raggedy Ann wig. Yeah. And, like, Peter thinks, like, he should know something's <laughs> up, but fully approaches the mother of, like, Mrs. Brewster with this Raggedy Ann air. Yeah. This <laughs> Annabelle doll. Oh, yeah. And, uh here comes Ed and he was like, his dinner's in the oven. Mm. Yeah. And so Peter's like, Oh my God, like I can't get away from the ghouls falls down clumsily over this thing. And then I told you, and I think an underutilized vampiric power, the transformation from man into wolf, werewolf, vamp wolf starts charging at Peter Vincent. So he's got to do something. So the broken leg of the thing that he clumsily fell over, almost a victim of circumstance stakes the dog that gruesomely plummets to the chandelier Chandelier and the floor and then to reform which i thought that effect for 85 looked pretty good
0: they decided if they're gonna go ahead and do it and we're gonna get transformation let's go ahead and do a werewolf like transformation for a minute because that's what that is isn't it
1: yeah but i'm pretty sure they use the same uh jelly head that they use in werewolf in london Mm. that like you essentially kind of put your fist in it and it makes. It allows you to form the shape of the snout.
0: So awesome. Yeah. Ed is, I think, the most terrifying looking thing in this film, with the exception of very latter changed Amy. Oh,
1: gosh. That's, that's the poster.
0: Oh, yeah. Her face. Yeah. yeah. That Ed with that blistered, it's not even a cross anymore. It's an X. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that, Jesse. Like the, It's Manson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ed's such an outcast that he can't even get a proper cross. Dude, he has an X on his forehead. Mm -hmm. That's not, I'm going to give Holland a lot of credit because we've said that he's been in control and he was doing. To shoot that as an X, we've X'd him out. Mm -hmm. Fuck, man, they just won't give him a break.
1: Yeah. And his debt's, you know, really prolonged. And it's like, oh my God, like, how much more can you take? And then, like, Peter Vincent's just, like, almost, like, weeping with him, like, too, like, feeling sorry for, like, this gruesome thing that just took place. When Ed stands up in the bed with the Raggedy Ann wig on and says, his dinner's in
0: the oven. And that, man, that's really terrifying <laughs> and oh, yeah. hard to watch. That's why I'm arguing that I think he's a better actor than I might have previously given him credit for. Yeah. And then when he finishes his transformation back into Ed as human and the blister on his head goes away, so we know that he is now back to his human dead state.
1: So Peter Vincent's got the evidence that he needs. Like, I know how to defeat the undead.
0: But there's a moment of sadness with Ed too, right? Mm-hmm. I think we see a couple tears come out in that makeup job, which also is pretty impressive because there's a lot of makeup on him and to show it. Yeah. I'm giving Stephen Jeffrey some credit here. Yeah, that's, I know co- we, that's
1: cool. Yeah, I know
0: we bombed him, but no. he had a really good I know moment we in we this bombed film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then my favorite moment in the entire film. Uh, so Peter Vincent leaves the Brewster residence, has this bloody mm-hmm. uh, Table leg. desk leg. Yeah. yeah. And looks at the Dandridge residence, which is oozing mist, and the look on his face. Let me see if I can do it for you. He just goes, oh, no. Yeah. And then <laughs> yes. Yes, Sally For It's literally like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then just walks. What? And then the image of him walking up to the misty house, one of the best images in all of horror. Like, that shot is so cool. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets in, he's still kind of a little tepid and like, oh, what am I doing here? Can we talk about his uh, bag of tricks? Mm-hmm. The details that they put in there, like, let's put a a satchel of wool on the strap. That way it doesn't wear into your clothing. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, just those little touches that kind of round. And his jacket, like, the sleeve is torn on the right side, but it's he's fully got it in on the left. Like, uh, what's that about? Like That was a
0: houndstooth jacket that was really sharp 20 years ago when he mattered. And they gave him good clothes, right? Well,
1: he looked like Sherlock Holmes in that, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: So, once we go in, you know, Charlie's been kind of knocked out. Amy's becoming a vampire. They got to do away with the familiar and another kind of great effect shot, too. Like, the bullets won't do it because he does have some fairly decent vampiric powers. Mm -hmm. They got to stake him, too, and then he just eviscerates himself. That was was pretty cool as well.
0: Strange familiar. Mm -hmm. Not mortal now. Yeah. Takes a bullet to the head and six or seven more to the chest. I'm not sure how many shots Peter Vincent fires into him. But... At this point, if you haven't appreciated the special effects that Fright Night is going to endeavor to entertain you with, mm-hmm. you get another moment now where you really are like, oh my gosh, you're really trying to do this now, aren't you? Yep. Green ooze out of his sleeve. and oh, then a
1: melting skull head, and then... Temple of...
0: Like, uh, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh,
1: yeah, there you go. That's a perfect example. Yeah.
0: yeah, almost said Temple of Doom. I meant Raiders of the Lost Ark. With a
1: minuscule portion of a budget that that movie had. So... Uh, Richard Edlund had done Ghostbusters, so there's some ghostbusters eck likeness to some of these effects. The Gozer eyes, mm-hmm. uh, the dog growls. I've noticed uh, a few things, and even the bat that Jerry turns into is almost like a mini Gozer dog. <laughs> You're right. Yes, it is. Uh, but the one we really liked was Amy's vamping. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's going on with her hair, and I don't know how that's a power, <laughs> but like her little short hair that's turning red uh-huh. and long and curly, I don't know what's going on there, but it's... Frightening and sexy at the same time. Yeah. And so she's coming at her and like, I'm like, Oh my God, like how are they going to deal with this? Jerry turns into a little tiny bat because dawn's arising. And then the cuckoo clock, like how cool was that little touch too? Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: one alarm clock's not enough for me. I need 30 of them on a wall to know that I'm not going to be destroyed by sunlight coming yeah. through these windows. Yeah. So then we go into the basement here. And
0: well, the bat makes sense too. Cause if there's a smaller organism, the chances are far less that it's going to hit by the beam of suns. Like you could turn into a big bat, but if there's sunlight coming in through the windows, I want to make myself as small as I can because then it's easier to navigate the beams. I love that. Yeah. And I also love that Charlie and Vincent are able to use the beams of sunlight and shown brilliantly by Holland as almost a natural shield. Like there's one moment where Vincent's about to get it. Charlie blasts the window. Yeah. And that great beam of light shines in and you can see Peter Vincent like tuck his limbs. He's like stuck in it, yeah. Into the sun, like you can't get me here. Mm-hmm.
1: Base, I'm safe.
0: <laughs> I'm invisible safe. <laughs>
1: fi- invisible force field. Yeah. 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 One thing, so this is interesting. So this happened a few times in my youth. So Sci-Fi Channel used to show these movies a lot um, back before they showed garbage now. Mm-hmm. Sharknadoes and shit. But what mm-hmm. they would do if you watched it late enough on like a Saturday or a Friday night, 10 o'clock. When it would get to the finale, when it came back from commercial break, this would show up on the screen. The finale of this film has been presented unedited. Uh, viewer, oh, sweet. Gra- uh, so for the graphic violence, viewer discretion is advised. And so they did it for The Thing one time. Mm. And this film, I remember specifically, was unedited on TV. And I was like, ooh, what's so graphic about it? Everyone's ghouling out down here. His basement looking like Sanford and Son. I want to know yeah. more about why they're collecting all these antiques down here. These just relics from all places they've been like, and then that makes me want to know how long Jerry's like been around. That's not talked about at all. Like how old is he Mm. thousand years old? And these are just pieces of all those different parts.
0: Yeah. You know, I had never snapped on that till you just said it, but to further that same point, good Mm -hmm. catch by you. Mm -hmm. He pulls that ivory tusk out when Peter Vincent shows up with the fake holy water and we see him dust it off and put it on the mantle. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah, dealing in antiques, right? Huh?
1: Yeah. How long has this been going on? Is what I want to know. Good catch, Jesse. That's and then, good. and then in another cool thing, he's in his casket, locked it from the inside. Bella Lugosi, take note, because you're you're staked pretty easily in 1931. Yeah. Like here, Peter Vincent's got to break the catches off and stake him, and they have to like melt him with the sunlight. But the the coolest thing in this thing's Amy's reveal, like. You said you'd protect me, Charlie. Ah, what a what a great moment.
0: Evil Ed's mouth is pretty hideous. Hers is even bigger and more hideous. Yeah. And with that stringy red hair. Mm-hmm,
1: that makes it better.
0: And that gown that's as sheer as it can be. Yeah, she's a great mm-hmm. vampire bride. Yeah. Dracula bride, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Succubus, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, she's truly terrifying and pretty strong. Mm-hmm. There's that moment when she knocks Charlie backwards or maybe he jumps backwards through something and lands on his back. Even today, I know how this movie ends. I've seen it. Yeah. It was in heavy rotation on HBO and I owned it for a period of time yeah. in honor of DeAndrea. Oh, yes. Rest her soul. Babysitter soul. She's probably still doing good today. But uh, I, I, like, I know he lives. Yeah. I still was like, fuck, man, hurry, get up. She's coming. And that thing is coming for you. I think in a way she's more visually terrifying than Dandridge is. Oh yeah. That stringy. I love Jesse. I love, Jessie, I love mm-hmm. the vampire bride. That is such a cool, frightening look. I love that character. Yeah. And well, because man, they do a good job with her in this. Because,
1: you know, it's, you know, you'll be seduced by sex, and then that's your undoing. You know what I mean?
0: I like you know, I love Bellucci, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. I like Amy's look in this better than Bellucci's look in in Coppola's. Well,
1: when she's standing there, in the, again... In the squ- doorway? Square Amanda And Yeah, she's standing in the doorway. She's like, I know, Charlie. Mm-hmm. It's me. And she just kind of comes toward it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of on board, too. I mean, I'd probably let you come band me as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a great moment. So we had to deal with her. Jerry's running amok, staked, and then they're trying to get all the sunlight in. And then when they finally undo him... He, you get, you, they reveal his skeletal vampiric form, which it's looks cool. looks like the thing from Poltergeist. Oh yeah, that was like on jo Beth Williams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you see the shape of the vampire, which is awesome. It's this a great ending, and all's well that ends well. And they're finally making out again on the bed. We're ending where we began, and Peter, Peter Vincent's got his gig back. He got his gig back. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. I'd want, I'm kind of curious to see how that how that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we see some eyes in the doorway next door and we're like, Oh, what's something's amiss here. And we kind of play it off, but I kind of want, I know they, they do the, the line by Ed again. You're so cool. Brewster. That's just kind of from the beginning of the film, right? Yeah. That's not him.
0: I don't, well, I'm there's a sequel. There is. Yeah. So it's not him.
1: I never thought it was him. I thought that was just a nice callback to earlier. Yeah. Like kind of the the line of the film, if you want. But something's amiss over there. Mm-hmm. A werewolf? Mm-hmm. Fright Night 2's werewolves? That could be cool. Uh, but that's the end. And then Jay Giles Band plays this out. It, to me, you weren't an 80s genre film unless you had a title song named after you mm-hmm. to play you out in the credits. Big Trouble in Little China had one. This has it. Uh, it's It just makes it that much better. Yeah. Can I mention just a, a couple things here before I uh, ask you uh, a couple questions? Again, 7 million budget, 25 million dollars. So it wasn't a gigantic hit, but cult status, and I don't know how they did this for seven. Like it's it doesn't look seven, it looks 20, 25, maybe in 85 money.
0: It's yeah. ROI, that's probably what, 2530 now?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, this is awesome. Or not awesome, it's kind of tragic, but interesting. Mm. Uh so Malcolm McDowell, he loved playing this character. This was a kind of a great kind of moment, resurgent. Roddy, Mc, Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. Yeah. Who did I say? Caligula. <laughs> uh, he uh, he loved playing it. He came back for part two. Him and Ragsdale both came back. And uh, they Holland didn't because he was doing child's play. And he did want to do a part three. So McDowell loved it so much. He was like... Uh, Tom Holland, I set up a meeting with us with Corelco Pictures, oh, Wow! and we're going to talk about Fright Night 3. We're going so, to like, 89-ish? 89, exactly. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about making that movie. Their meeting was with one uh, Jose Menendez. They never got to make the meeting because it was the Menendez boys that murdered their parents. No this, shit. This guy, yeah. So, the meeting didn't happen because of that crazy media circus court case of the kids killing their parents. Wow. Yeah. So, and then Karelko would eventually would have killed that movie anyway. Yeah. But crazy, huh? That is A crazy. real life tragedy, like, kind of impacted the trajectory of this franchise. Stop that. Huh. Um,
0: we talked a little bit about the sequel. Uh, I remember seeing it. I don't remember it a lot. You said it's really hard to get.
1: It's Can impossible. you find it
0: right now? Is it anywhere available now?
1: Maybe you could rent it on YouTube, but you can't get a DVD of it. Uh, Blu-ray, no. It was streaming on Prime briefly like mm-hmm. i don't know why it's so hard to come by like it, it's got to be a rights issue but i think it's kind of fun like there's you'll remember the the skating vampire down the hallway mm-hmm. uh will always stick with you uh and i think i think that's that's all that i all that i got uh, from...
0: do you think it's interesting that the three vampire films we had this week had collectively Bauhaus, in and the jay giles band
1: oh that's cool how about that yeah huh?
0: and saxophone guy
1: tim capella <laughs> <laughs> did you after we finished last week i yeah. went and
0: just kind of googled some images he's not doesn't have that body anymore Oh, yeah. I get but cool. every picture is him with the saxophone okay, and his guns easy. even at like 75 <laughs> that's years old awesome. god bless him <laughs> stay healthy everybody
1: real quick let's just kind of do a, a review of what we talk about when we do this so when i yeah. say favorite tasting note everything's whiskey and liquor themed here with this podcast I'm talking about your favorite scene, your favorite moment, your favorite sequence. What is that for you in Friday Night?
0: Can you give me a little bit of grace with sequence? Yeah, sure. All right. It's from the moment the sheer dress silhouetted Amy shows up in the doorway until that sequence ends. There's a lot of other things in there, but she in that four or five minutes mm-hmm. is, my, is my choice here. That's a lot. But she's really, really amazing looking. Good choice. There's a lot to choose from here, though. There's oh, plenty of yeah. other opportunities. Well, we
1: talked about a lot. I mentioned mine already. I got to stick with it. It's Peter Vincent on the precipice of Dandridge's house. Miss mm-hmm. Doosan and just being like, oh, are you serious? I got to go in there. I'll do it. Do you know what it reminded me of? Huh?
0: When we were in Disneyland a couple mm. um, Octobers ago, that right in that or California Adventures. Yeah. That first building, I forget what it is. I think it's a like a restaurant. Actually, mm-hmm. the Oogie Boogie effect on there—it had the green and the purple and yeah, the smoky, yeah, yeah. similar, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, That's way better the- and, and way more scary. <laughs> That's Disney World, <laughs> <laughs> Disneyland compared to this. But yeah,
1: yeah, they need a Roddy McDowell animatronic outside of that, and I'd be like, oh yeah.
0: Do you wonder why? Okay, I know you're trying to get through this, and I keep sidetracking no, you. Go ahead. Why haven't we had more of a Fright Night adaptation into popular culture? Unless ah, unless maybe it has to do with the rights in Columbia and some deal they made has this on such lockdown.
1: There's something strange going on there with those rights.
0: you trying to tell me that Evil Ed yeah. isn't a great Halloween character to be walking around? Yeah. Everyone from the 80s knows who that is. Yeah,
1: Universal could do a, a maze on Fright Night. That'd be cool. Oh, my God. Yes. So when I say the oh, my God moment, the... Oh my- This is the moment so shocking, so crazy, so perplexing that you need to go back to the old bottle and pound one back to just cleanse your palate. What is that in this film for you? You have yours ready? I do. I do have no, it I ready. Think I ready. think mine is is the the vamping of Amy. Uh and and not in a bad way, like I said it's a really well put together sequence, but it's it's amazing how they've transformed Amanda Bierce into this and Jerry's seduction is so minimal it's it's love jams shirtless and mm-mm. and he just takes control mhm and then, like the way the coolest vampire way that they, they he could that, that that's my moment it's it's the film it's it seals the deal and it's, it's it takes us even lower for Charlie we're like oh my god now he's got to undo his vampiric girlfriend <laughs> great choice yeah
0: i think mine's going to be evil ed in charlie's mother's bed mhm him standing up with that Raggedy Ann wig, and then the whole mm, dinner's in the oven. That is, <laughs> I actually do think that even today I was a little like, "Oh God, he's so ugly." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's in. It. He's all about it. He's all in. At not as the actor, yes, as the actor, but as Evil Ed, as vampire too. Mm-hmm. I can scare you because I can do yeah this, and I'm yeah he's yeah. Great
1: choice. He's had
0: that damn cross, that X on his head, and the blister just really sticking with you, huh? Fucks me, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, When I say master distiller, we're talking about the person most, you know, in charge of everything. So, whether that's an acting performance, oftentimes it's been, we've had to go down and be like, it's the guy that did the sound effects because they were amazing (laughs) and the rest of the movie was shit. Yeah. Uh, The writing, the director, the acting, the composer. I've picked some composers. So, Mm -hmm. who are you picking for Fright Night? Sarandon. It's a great vampire.
0: Yeah. Uh, If they were really trying to make the vampire sexy and seductive, I think that he was comfortable, and I probably wouldn't have chosen him. That's why I asked you Midview, Who else was up for this role? I couldn't find
1: anything else. Yeah. Odd. That's that's interesting. Maybe
0: he was the first and only. Um, And I think
1: this is the same year, or maybe Princess Bride is after this, or it's around this time, too. So he's around.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, really, really good. And I buy entirely that he's able to pull off the vampire powers that the movie gave him.
1: He's so good. If we allowed ourselves to pick from what we talked about today, he would be my number one, actually, Mm -hmm. on our favorite vamps list. I I love his seduction. I Mm -hmm. love his attire. I love his music that accompanies him Mm -hmm. and the authority that he commands. I mean, with David's cool, and he's cool looking, but, like, I think he lacks kind of... The authoritative stamp that, you know, vampires have. That's Edward Herman in that movie. Uh and even David Bowie, I mean Catherine Deneuve, I mean, she's authoritative, but she's even overrun by her devices. Like there's something about the way he just commands his presence. And I'm like, that's a vampire.
0: Chris Sarandon in this is Lou Rawls, Kiefer Sutherland in David in Lost Boys is Sid Vicious. There you
1: go. How's that? That's pretty good. Yeah. I gotta go Roddy McDowell. Yeah, of course. As Peter Vincent, uh, it's a great performance because it's it's tragic, it's sad. You feel bad for him, and then he still has to call the arms at the end of the day. He still has to stake and defeat some of these evil things. Yeah, and it just his looks—he's just like, oh my god, how is this real? It's real. I got to deal with it somehow, some way. I got to I got to still help. And he he's he's good in the second one too. Mm-hmm. Really fleshed
0: out, well
1: contrived arc. Yeah. He's well, 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 well written. Well put together, yeah.
0: Coward to hero.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Coward to hero, yeah. We like that. How are you going to rate and grade Fright Night? So our rating system in the Vale of uh, liquor, we have Rock gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you going for Fright Night?
0: This has been a really, really, really good cast. It
1: has been, yeah.
0: Power hasn't been a miss. No. So I think this, and I didn't think it was going to be this. I thought it was going to be The Hunger. Mm. And I've loved all three of these films. I loved this film at first. I loved this film for my babysitter. I loved the film for the nostalgia. Taking a page from the Jesse nostalgia book, that's why this movie matters. Yeah, That book is closed because I haven't had read it in 20 years. Sure, yeah. But upon revisitation, I loved this film mm-hmm. again. That was so, I was looking forward to watching this yeah. all week with you. It was a good viewing. Wasn't it? Yeah. It's top shelf, man. Mm-hmm. This is a fucking rock solid film.
1: There you go. I love it. I'll top keep, shelf. I'll keep mine short and sweet. I almost paid $1,000 for a maybe <laughs> fake uh, degree. Right. It's top shelf.
0: That's an expensive bottle of liquor that you didn't get.
1: I don't do that for many films. No. But for me, for the vampire subgenre, this is tippy top. Uh, I've always loved the tone, the style, the music, the effects, the characters. And I've never seen anything that can like recreate. The Lost Boys, I think, is maybe second for me. That comes close to like that same type of rush. Um, but... Any other time with vampires, I mean, it's gothic. It's a little bit slower, and I love that. But to me, this is this is such a fun movie. You know what I mean? Mm, Yes. And that that we need that with horror, and some films sometimes just to kind of go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. And Tom Holland, I uh, until this conversation, what a great screenplay! It's it's well put together. Yeah, yeah. So to that, to that, yeah. Let's wrap this up with a nightcap.
2: make this move on you and me Fright night This right, right. is gonna be tonight Like you're going win your fight Soon you'll all We're all in for us.
1: What a fun song. That's also a soundtrack that's impossible to find. Hmm. And if you know whether you're a Spotify or an Apple Music, that single is like non-existent in the world. You gotta go to like YouTube to listen to it. And I want to listen to that in my car. (laughs) I need, I need Jay Giles, put that song on your Spotify so I can listen to it because I I dig it. That's cool. This has been an interesting cask for us, not in just how you know we needed a kind of a winner after the slog of 20. Twenty one. Yeah. You want more uh, superheroes a dragons, man? <laughs> uh, yes, please give me more. <laughs> but what's been interesting in our kind of research and discovery in this cask is active development on a Hunger remake, did, 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 uh, Lost Boys remake coming through the pipes. Fright Night's already been remade. Yep. Uh, crazy that it just in this discussion we discovered all all of those uh, things in development right now. So my question to you, being that those were all films of the '80s, what's another? Eight- horror film from the 80s any genre vampire slasher ghouls vampire or whatever uh that you would actually want to see remade because that's the other question is why
0: <laughs> so the one i'm going to mention was remade but it wasn't it was remade per title but not per story okay so i'm going to 1988 okay i'm going to see if i can if you can guess this okay the director is Camilo Vila okay it stars Ben Cross Ned Beatty uh Hal Holbrook I don't think I... (laughs) Rest in peace, Ben Cross, by the way.
1: 1988.
0: And Ned Beatty. And Ned Beatty. And Hal Holbrook, I think, too. Mm -hmm. All three of them. The Unholy from 1988. Oh, good choice. So here's... This is sleepy, and a lot of people didn't see this film. Here's the general premise. A priest is given, through Hal Holbrook, Ben Cross is given a new church, and when he arrives at the new church, there's this woman that keeps trying to seduce him. That woman is... Satan. Here's why this film works. If you take all of the machinations of natural mankind and sequester those against the very strict non-secular world of priesthood, there is lots and lots of story there. We've seen elements of seduction not exactly this way, but and I don't mean sexually. Mm-hmm. But the exorcist has a bit of a seductive piece in there as they're trying to bring um, Father.
1: Carrot. Uh, God,
0: good. Carrot to the dark side. Yeah. This is straight seduction, seduction. Okay. And Ben Cross, this priest, is troubled around every turn. He wakes up, there's snakes on his crotch. He just can't get this woman out of his <laughs> system. She's there. Everybody's telling him all about these. Sexual exploits in the confessional booth. It played really well in 1988, and I think that's a solid film that nobody saw. Mm -hmm. I think reimagined with, here we go, I'm going to give you a name, Hugh Jackman as the priest. And I'm going to give you another name, Blake Lively as the seductress. And I am there on opening night. It doesn't even have to be noir. There is a noir feel to that with the femme fatale that's actually Satan. But that's the one that I want remade.
1: Hang on one second. I need to let me do let me do some research for you right here. All
0: right. Uh Did you see so that film? I
1: haven't actually.
0: Ooh. Oh, it's so got a great poster for anybody that wants to check it out. It's uh oh, I gotta, Ben Cross with um his image against a black and red silhouette of some very scary and sexy looking female form behind him.
1: There was a movie, yeah, yeah, looks, looks great. The yep. uh, there was a movie that came out this year, yeah, called The Unholy. So I just did some research to say it's not the same thing. No, yeah.
0: and I I didn't see that. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's based on a book too. So
0: based on the book that had ties with Ramy, and that has a huge cast, and that film sucked. Yeah, per what because I, I read, it. I got interested, in, so I read it. That sounds awful. Yeah. This isn't awful. Yeah, this is literally a priest who Satan is trying to seduce out of the priesthood. Through the feminine wiles of some uh redhead oh, man, I bombshell. Gotta, I gotta check
1: that out. Don't watch it. We'll watch it together. Great choice. Thanks, man. I have an honorable mention because okay. it's a film that's already been remade before. Oh. It's the fly. Yeah. Uh and we did the Cronenberg fly on mm-hmm. here, which was a great discussion. But in our discussions about one Mr. Brandon Cronenberg, I wouldn't mind him taking a stab at that idea again. Mm, good. Whatever that could look like. Yeah. Uh, so that's an honorable mention in us talking about the vampires of the eighties. There was one film that we didn't discuss and I totally for it spaced me too. uh, 1985, I believe same year as this, uh, Toby Hooper has a film called life force space vampires. And you'll remember this film if you've seen it, because the actress Matilda may is naked the entire movie. You just don't get that out of your retinas. Mm. But it's interesting. Steve Rails back, Patrick Stewart, and it's like essentially alien. I mean, they go to like a spaceship, they bring these people back, they're vamps, and then they start vamping people all over to like the countryside. Huh. And it's kind of not a great movie, Toby Hooper. Uh, I think that could be remade and it could be pretty good. Hmm. And then an honorable mention, uh, just for just that nostalgic piece, and we like our Universal Monsters, I think a remake of The Monster Squad would be killer. I thought about that one, too. Yeah, I think yeah. that would be a lot of fun. So
0: I had one honorable mention. Okay. Mr. William Katz going to show up. Ooh. Did you ever see House? House.
1: Yeah. That was fun, wasn't yeah. it? House is interesting. Yeah. I'd be okay with House. Yeah, House remake. Okay, good. Good choices. Echo, let's see. I'm, they're probably all in development now because Hollywood has no new ideas, as we know. Yeah, that's true. But, Matt, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got around to the vampires. We know those werewolves are somewhere in the horizon at some point in time, and that's going to be a hell of a discussion. Yeah. But we'll put the seal on this cask, and then next week we're going to do something that's been a year and a half in the making, and I'm finally excited that we're going to get to it. Um, Our original, we were going to do like like a five-week or four-week stint with this cask, which, you know, there's always time for that later in the future, but because we're so jam-packed right now, we're only going to do two weeks with this, mm-hmm. Um, and it's – let me see if I can do this. It's coming to you next Sunday. We're going to do James Bond, James Bond on Rice Smile Films. Do, 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 do. And, you know, we were going to do a Connery, I think a Moore, maybe a, T, a yeah, and a Craig before No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. So since we don't have time, what fitting way to kind of end Craig's tenure with his final film – then with the first one that he did, so next week coming to you from 06, Casino Royale. Sweet. it's is going to be a lot of fun because we get to talk about the Bond franchise in totality, how we got to Casino Royale in the first place, and there's just the casting of Craig in general, which was controversial to say the least. I mean, people made a big deal about Keaton as Batman or Pattinson as Batman. I don't think it's ever been as worse for an actor than it was for him that, there was a website dedicated to him that said craigisnotbond.com and it mm. was a petition to get him removed from the project. Jesus. Uh I can't wait to talk about it and it's 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 a it's a really interesting entry into that franchise. Yep. Uh early on it's an origin film and so we'll do that one and then we're going to do No Time to Die so we'll kind of see how that wraps up his little story but bookend it. Are you excited to do this? It's, we haven't done Bond yet.
0: I can't wait to do Bond. Mm. This is As wheelhouse as it gets for you, right? This is my favorite franchise of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk about, and I can't wait
1: to get into the best Berlin stuff. Oh. So much fun. Excellent. Excellent. Well, until then. Till then. Cheers. Cheers. I'm gonna go get my binoculars and I'm gonna go spy up my neighbors because I don't think they're vampires, but they need to clean their trash up in their backyard (laughs) or something.
0: I don't even know where to go with that. That's a good one. Excellent. Well, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening. To Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature length watch along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Fright Night is property of Columbia Pictures and Vistar Films. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.
2: (laughs) Uh, Oh, you're so cool, Brewster.